0: Shunzi, chapter 16, is entitled The Strong State. And this is the last time we have a chapter that talks about the overall direction and overall foundation of the whole government. After this point, we have some more typically philosophical questions like uh, the discourse on heaven. You know, are there gods that you could appeal to? Are there omens that one could read? Um, or other questions like, Um, Why is music important? Why is ritual important? Uh, Is human nature good or bad? Those are questions that come later. So this is the last time we find a discussion on government as a whole. And so at the end of chapter uh, 16, I'll do a quick summary on Shenzhou's idea of what government should be. So in chapter 16... Uh, We have the strong state, and the discussion is often in terms of strength because at this point there's a lot of chaos. There's all these states, they are contending with each other, everybody thinks in terms of strength. Just like today, most people are thinking in terms of money, economics. And so that's the key concern for the day. And so if you're out there and you're simply saying we should be more moral. We should have a good culture. People will respond, well that's fine and good but we're dying here or we could be conquered. So they're not going to pay much as much attention. So Susan needs to reframe uh, his discussion and he's pointing out that it's not just nice things that I'm talking about with nice culture and nice leaders that we can all be proud of. It actually does directly relate to the country's ability to survive, to do well, now and into the future. So let's go into this, Shunzi on line 12 says, for the state there is also means of sharpening and that is ritual, yi, and regulation and rules. In other words, sharpening means to become better, to to become stronger, to do what you're supposed to do better. Just like sharpening a blade, it helps the blade cut. If you want to be more effective at governing and strengthen your state, you do use Li, e regulation, and rules. If the Lord of men exalts Li and honors awarded, he will become a true king. But if he relies heavily on law but still has concern for the people, he will become a hegemon. If he cares only for profit and frequently engages in deception, he will be endangered. If he is scheming debauched and unpredictable and dangerous, dangerous, he will perish. Okay, This is a very important framework here. You can think about any country and how well they're going to do, starting with the daily lives of the common people, based on these four parts of the spectrum. No country today exalts Li, ritual, and honors a the worthy. They don't work on the culture. And to the extent where you have certain countries, the leadership is working on the culture, it's not for the benefit of the people, it's, a, it's just to grab more power for the current leaders. So a lot of communist countries do that, but it's not only them who do this. So that's not the kind of thing that Shins is talking about. Ritual uh, and honor the worthy has to do with morality, uh, kind of morality and order that will help the daily lives of the common people inside their homes outside their homes, at the workplace, in their neighborhoods, within their families. Uh, Now we do have countries that rely heavily in law out of a concern for people, but it's a very materialistic concern. So we do have some hegemons, but the hegemons today are starting to slip into the next worst kind of government, which is that which cares only for profit and frequently engages in deception. So if the discourse is mostly about economics and not about, well, what do we do about the fact that people are afraid to have children? What do we do about the fact that people are not getting married? If the discourse has to do with, how do we make sure that there are enough employment? How do we make sure that these two jobs everybody has pays enough? If that's the discussion we're having, we're slipping into the endangered state, not the hegemonic one, but the endangered state. And I would say that that is actually where uh, the United States is falling into. If he is scheming, deposited and unpredictable and dangerous, he will perish. This is a perishing state, that's the fourth one, and states that are uh, small and uh, not very stable can be described often like this. So this is one in which the end is soon to come. Within that generation, uh, one can predict that this state will probably end. So the rulers are scheming debauched, unpredictable, and dangerous. This is not a good situation. to be. Even the appearance of being unpredictable and dangerous is ultimately not good, and that's why you have so many dictators that they have this reputation for being unpredictable, and their own people believe that uh, this is the case. And when this happens to their own people, then this kind of person will be easily overthrown in their lifetime. So. The next part here is this three kinds of power to inspire awe. This is also very important in terms of understanding the overall framework. The first kind of power is using the Way, the Dao, and virtue, and that is how they inspire people to follow them. They inspire people to follow them because they say, wow, this is a really great person and they feel moral themselves by listening to this person, following this person. And so all this energy naturally is poured out to support this kind of person. So he does not need to use rewards. He does not need to use punishments, even though that would be beneficial. He does not need to use them in order to get people, to be able to inspire the right kinds of people. Emphasis on the right kinds of people. Because you could always end up using propaganda to end up convincing people who are low level to follow you, but they are not the right kinds of people. They're not talented and virtuous. That's what you really need to succeed. Um, You also cultivate ritual and music, not just for yourself, but for the whole culture, for the whole people. And that is also what makes them more virtuous, and because they are more virtuous they will act for what is morally correct and not cause problems on their own. So you don't even need to rely on law when your people are greatly virtuous. Now what about the second kind of power to inspire awe? It comes from being harsh and stringent. In other words, you're always punishing people, you are relying on law. You're not using morality. You're just saying, okay, this is the rule. Make sure to obey it. Regardless of whether the rule itself is moral or not. And people get very easily confused. If you're thinking about the age of adulthood, that changes from state to state with the United States and from country to country in the world. Some countries have it as late as, believe it or not, 21. And some countries have it early as 14 or 15. This is is this because people are actually adults at this exact age? No, it's really a kind of convention to say, okay, this we have to draw the line somewhere between adulthood and childhood, so we'll draw it here. But people start to get very upset. They say, oh, this is a child. He's seventeen and three hundred sixty-four days old. This is a child. How can you treat him this way? It's ridiculous. You know this. If you're, if you're that old, you know that murdering is wrong. You don't need to treat them as a quote-unquote juvenile. So people get very upset about this and it's ridiculous because that's the problem with countries that rely heavily on law and not culture to get people to behave a certain way. They start to stop thinking about what is right and wrong. They just try to avoid the punishment and some of them internalize it and they believe that the rules are truly correct, but they're not thinking for themselves what is right or wrong. So even when you have intelligent people, they don't develop wisdom. And even though you have people who wish to please others, they never become righteous with very few exceptions. So in this case, a person needs to rely on punishment. So line 50. He says, um, you know, he basically around there Shenzhen says that this kind of ruler uses arrangements and authority and executions and killings as a way to constrain them and to shape them and to keep control over his subordinates. This is an oppressive state by nature, it is oppressive because a lot of the rules are not actually themselves based on morality and you have so many rules that it's not possible to keep track of all of them. So inevitably you break some of these rules and you're always in fear of being punished. And there's a lot of control. There's a lot of, what you know, you have these people watch over other people. This is true for any country that uses laws instead of culture. So if you wanna live in a state that is not oppressive and stays that way, go to a, cult, a country where the culture is good and healthy. Unfortunately, there's not many of these countries these days because these hegemons are all about money and they, using modern technology, try to exert control over smaller states. So as you get some very weird results as a, um, uh, from this dynamic. Countries like South Korea or Taiwan, they, you know, not too long ago, Uh, like maybe a hundred years ago or more, uh, they were more Confucian but now they're very very much the opposite because there's so much cultural destruction and that benefits the powerful and the wealthy of today. The last kind of power to inspire awe comes from being wild and reckless. Here, the ruler lacks the heart that is concerned for the people and he practices ways that create chaos among the people. So they don't care about the people. I would say that a lot of countries are slipping into this too. So they're not even harsh and stringent because they don't even care about the people anymore and they just do stuff and it just causes further chaos. They don't really care about people. So for example, one example of this would be uh, you shut down everybody's small businesses because you think there's a pandemic happening, even though it's only been like a month. And then you still allow the big corporations like Amazon to stay open, even though those places are really cramped. It doesn't make sense. It's wild, it's reckless. It only creates chaos. It doesn't benefit the people. Even if there, Let's say that the disease was really bad. The, you know, In that case, why is Amazon still open? Why is Walmart still open? It doesn't make sense. You should shut those things down too, shouldn't you? So uh, what really ended up happening is that the, the wealthy benefited during this period. The guys who own Amazon, they make more money, but the guy who is trying to make his own small business work, they go out of business. And so the customers who went to that small business now go to Amazon. Okay, there's a lot of history. I, um, you know, it's fairly straightforward, and you can understand that by reading through it. So I won't go through it. I will talk about one uh, instance. So, Jie and Zhou, um, those are tyrants at the end of the dynasty, and Tang and Wu are the founding kings of the next, uh, of the replacing dynasties. And Shunzo says, all of a sudden, everyone under heaven defiantly deserted these tyrants and ran to the side of Tong and Wu. Why? Because Tong and Wu used ritual, e, yielding respect, deference, loyalty, and trustworthiness. So they had the right people. They had a functioning and healthy and vibrant society, and people saw this and thought, "I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that." And you've seen, you've seen this in your own lifetime probably. You've seen people say, oh, I'd rather live in Canada or in Europe or something. My point is not that Canada is better. I don't think it necessarily is. I don't think Europe is necessarily better. The point is they want to leave their home for a better place. So if you can't establish that better place, people will start to come to you. And because people start to come to you, you now have the power to defend yourself and even replace other countries. Qin is discussed. And this is very important because Qin is that kingdom within the Zhou dynasty that takes over its neighbors and replaces the Zhou dynasty and begins the Qin dynasty. Qin dynasty doesn't last for too long. Most historians mark this as about 15 years. Now, it is true, to be fair, that a lot uh, had happened that is kind of um, bad fortune. On the other hand, a lot of that bad fortune could have been withstood had they had a better structure of government, had they not been simply hegemons using rewards and punishments, but had cultivated the right people. and inspired genuine loyalty from those right people. They could have survived a lot longer than 15 years, which is basically two generations of emperors. It also doesn't help that the emperor who founded it was pretty haughty and arrogant and declared himself to be much greater than the Zhou kings and the former kings because simply he amassed more land. Uh, by the way, China today is much, much bigger than any dynasty in the past. Uh, I, think, I, bel- I do believe that there is an upper limit to how much land and people one can rightly govern and properly govern. Once you get beyond a certain land mass, like China is today, it doesn't really work anymore. Once you get beyond a certain population, it probably doesn't work uh, either. So you can think that same way of, say, uh, maybe America or India, any of these places that have a lot of land and a lot of different people within that, multiple ethnicities, it's very difficult to have a cohesive culture and to understand all these different people. So uh, that's uh, you know going back to Qin, it has a great amount of land that's unprecedented so far in history, although it's not even as much as today's China. Uh, This is another kind of uh, interesting thing. What does China mean? This is, it kind of sounds a little weird to ask that question, but let me put it this way. Throughout the history of that geographic area, there has been a Chinese written language that is common, but on the other hand, well, Korea and Vietnam and Japan and other countries have also used written Chinese because it's not a phonetic language, so you can preserve these ideas and statements down in, um, and not be, know how to pronounce these words. Okay? Number two, how to pronounce Chinese has also changed throughout these many thousands of years. Number three, the geographic boundaries are very different. Now, I mean, cer- cer- certain places are always the same, but the exact outer areas keep changing from dynasty to dynasty. Uh, Four, um, there's not a real good continuity. It's not like there's a one Chinese dynasty. It's not like there's the Qin, which gets replaced by the Tang, which gets replaced by the Song. In between, oftentimes, there are these fragments of different civilizations. You know? So it's, it's like, it's, um, it's maybe similar to how everybody Claims to be the next Roman Empire, and so that's why the Nazis call themselves the Third Reign, the Third Reich, um, and then you know, Tsarist Russia is also thinking of themselves as another, you know, continuation of the Roman Empire. Um, people want to have this kind of golden idea, uh, so idea of this golden age that they want to revive, and so that's kind of what happens. That's one way of looking at the situation. So they all want to claim to be the country that has the son of heaven. The son of heaven is the most virtuous leader in the world. And so that's, of course, a very prestigious position to claim. And so that's what kind of gives rise to this appearance of one continuous Chinese culture, but uh, that and Confucianism. But by the time you get to today's China, that's not really anything like the past. It covers a to- huge amount of territory. It does use the chi- it doesn't even use the traditional Chinese written language. It uses simplified. The governing is different. It's not Confucian at all. Um, the The descendants of these dynasties are governed by China, today's China. That's true. Uh, but if you look at the culture, it's basically unrecognizable. If you look at Chinese tourists, you kind of see a certain behavior that is really incompatible with what we find in Confucianism. And so, uh, you know, when you hear China, don't think that it's this kind of completely preserved state from beginning to end. This is certainly not the case. Let's look at Chin here and what Shenzi says about Qin. Its power makes okay. Its power to inspire all rattles all within the four seas, and its strength threatens the central states. The central states is another way to say China, which um, the original one is uh, means the middle states or the central states. Okay, so um, because uh, a dynasty back in the Zhou and so forth is not really this hugely centralized government is uh, a lot more loosely governed. So the central states are all threatened by Qin. Nevertheless, Shunzi says, its worries and troubles are innumerable, full of apprehension. It constantly fears that all under heaven will unite and combine to roll over it. So this is a very similar case to the global hegemons today. They're always afraid that the world will unite against them to attack them. And they are afraid of that because they are not righteous countries that are internally stable. People avoid coming to, for example, the United States, which should otherwise be a very popular tourist uh, attraction. They they hesitate because if you come here, there's this sort of security, and there's this violence after you get past that uh, crime and everybody across the world knows this, That, and so they don't want to come. And these two things are tied together, the internal crime and the security, because the reality is that internally, domestically, this is not a happy and loyal people. And it's not a happy and loyal society. So from within the government does not trust its own people and then furthermore because as discussed before because of the ravenous and wasteful way of using up resources what's within the bound borders is not even enough. So, a country as naturally as wealthy as the United States isn't satisfied with what's in here because it's wasteful, and furthermore, the people are very greedy as a whole. So, what happens is now the United States goes to other countries. They go across the Pacific Ocean, across the Atlantic Ocean, in order to get some of other countries' resources. And through this, coercion and deception, it creates a lot of enemies abroad. So you've got people who are untrustworthy inside, and that's the fault of the government, and then you've also got people who are antagonized abroad, and that's the situation that is can be described in a similar way, in which Sun describes to that they're full of It's worries and troubles are innumerable, it's full of apprehension, and it constantly fears that everybody in the world, within the country and from outside the country, will unite to combine and roll over it. So that being the case, how do you fix it? What can be done about this? Shunzi says, let it curtail the use of awe-inspiring power and return to good form. In other words, stop trying to impress everybody through ostentatious displays. That would be things like parades that show up power or building, you know, really big structures or even weapons, ships, etc. Stop doing that kind of thing and return to good form. In other words, you have a good governing structure You have good culture. Accordingly, let it employ junzi who are upright, have integrity, possess trustworthiness, and perfect themselves. In other words, you have virtuous and wise leaders. You don't just get random people who struggle to answer the question, what is a man and what is a woman, and let them become one of the top judges in the whole country. and then you let this bring order to all under heaven. Why? Because you're setting a role model, not just for your own people in this way, by having yourself and your leaders overall being virtuous. Not only do they set an example for the common people everywhere, and they naturally stop being criminal, they become peaceful and quiet and compliant, Compliant not because you're yelling and threatening them, but compliant because they know you do good things and they naturally want to do, are inspired by that and they they naturally want to follow you in doing good things. Loving their family, being good to their neighbors, being courteous in public, being responsible, looking out for not only their own children, but other children uh, if they're playing in the streets and so forth. If you can accomplish this, then your own country becomes a role model to the rest of the world. And that is what happens after the Qin Dynasty. After the Qin Dynasty, the country that claims to have the son of heaven, they don't go out invading other people trying to take over more and more. They don't do this. They're not like the Roman Empire from much of its uh, history from going from the Italian peninsula to taking over every land that touches the Mediterranean. They don't do that. And Rome only really stops because they can, not because they think, oh, okay, we've gone too far. They don't do that. They stop because it's not financially tenable to continue expanding. So the Romans don't do this, but the country that claims have the son of heaven, And any other Confucian country, uh, in fact, they don't try to expand in terms of territory. What they do is that they set themselves to be a role model for all the other countries, starting with their next door neighbors. But even when we talk about the Ming Dynasty and you have um, this uh, Zhang and he has this fleet of ships and he's going all across the world, even to Africa. They're going there and they're actually giving out gifts. They're not taking over territories. They're not enslaving the local population. They're giving out gifts and they're going out to say, you know, we are this kind of people. We are good and noble people and you can learn from us. That is how they do it. Now, I don't know if, this comes off came off as maybe arrogant or whatever to the people who are uh, they are visited, but at least they weren't harmed by these people and they got gifts. And so that is a much better way of transforming the world, of exerting influence over the world. You use your your morality, you use your righteousness, you use Ren Yin Li. You don't have to send your soldiers abroad, you don't have to control other populations directly, you don't have to conquer their land. But that's what the empires of the west have done. They went out there and went across the Pacific Ocean. They went all the way around and uh, sold drugs, sold opium to the Chinese during the Qing Dynasty and they also conquered uh, various places throughout the world. So there are different ways to do this. That's the more hegemonic way is to expand your territory. But the better way is the way of the former kings to rule righteously and with virtue. With Ren, Yi, and Li. Um, the line 295, we have some uh, seemingly praises of Qin, but you have to read in between the lines because later on, Shinza tells us that if you are in this, or actually, and not just later on, but even before, Shinza tells us if you are living in a state that is violent, oppressive, you have to be very careful about what you say. He even says, do not point out his shortcomings. So you have to carefully assess. In other words, don't play hero vainly. If you want to be a hero, you have to be very careful about your own life. You know? So if your words, if you just say stuff that is true, but it angers the wrong people and you get thrown in jail because you're living in that kind of country, um, then if that's the case, you better make those words count. So if you're just saying them and nobody's really taking you seriously, all you did was hurt yourself. There's no point to it. Okay. So Shunzi is, is careful here. He says, uh, to line 295, when I entered his borders and observed his customs, I saw this common folk are simple. Their songs and music are not perverse and corrupt. Their clothing is not provocative. Okay, in this way, Chin is a lot better than us today. Because our common folk are not simple, we're, um, we are kind of, as a group, very anxious, uh, scheming. Um, we're constantly thinking about many different things. We're distracted with a lot of worries. We're not simple people. We don't get to be simple people because things are so chaotic here. Their songs and music are not perverse and chin, But here, our songs and music are incredibly perverse. I mean, think about all the songs that directly talk about uh, promiscuous behavior, about just making money, about killing other people. And it's not only rap that does that, even though most most of rap is about these things, um, even pop music encourages easy relations between males and females, where you become intimate physically, but then you break up easily. Um, Certainly, they didn't have television shows back then, and movies, but we do now, and those are perverse, corrupt, and they encourage lustfulness, violence, and greed as well. Clothing, our clothing is extremely provocative. You have all these men, they go around topless, that's provocative. It it doesn't help you cool down to do this. Your sun just absorbs, absorbs more heat from the sun. If you want to cool down, wear something that is, sure, it's thin, it's loose, and it's white, so that it reflects off the light. That's how you cool down. Same thing with leggings and short shorts. Cover up, make sure they're loose. Don't display your body. That's provocative clothing. It entices people. It makes people think about what's underneath. It makes people know how you actually look, even though your skin color isn't being shown. They know what figure you have and that's what leggings do if you wear them as pants. They greatly fear those in charge and comply with them. That's what you see. So the way that people today um, are though is that one, if they do have fear for anybody it's those who are in charge, but even today people don't comply with those in charge. They act very rebellious. And sometimes this ends up in further violence. Um, And when it comes to people who have no authority over them, they're just greatly rude, completely inconsiderate. And so this is a a state of affairs that is worse than Qin today. Some advice about the true for the true king comes up in the last couple of pages. Uh, essentially, you want to respect every day and work um, and work uh, regularly. So, in accumulating something that is minute, working at it for a time each month does not surpass working at it at a time each day. So you're always on a daily basis working at something, and eventually you'll accumulate something great. So a mountain is just piles and piles of dirt. So every day you add a shovel full to the same amount, and then you get a small hill out of it. So every day you you work a little bit. Now remember, Sun is. Says that the true king, the way he works is he builds his virtue and his judgment of other people's character. He does not go into a lot of detail. And he's not planning battles, he's not hearing court cases, etc. Um, and so he's also not patching up oversights. Uh, that's, a, again, detailed work. There's this interesting line, 355, when it comes to money, assets, goods, and treasures, great magnitudes are what's important. In other words, if if you're talking about money, you should have a lot of money, not just a little bit, right? if you value money. If you have goods, you should have a lot of goods. But he says, when it comes to government through education and having accomplishments and fame, there's the opposite of this. Those who are able to accumulate what is minute will quickly have success. The oath say virtue is light as a hair, but among the common people, few are able to take it up. In other words, minute meaning light, subtle, not really tangible, not obvious. So accumulating this uh, means to transform yourself. So if you are a virtuous person from afar, From first impression, you don't look that much different. You still have two legs, two arms, eyes, and everybody knows how to say polite things when they have to, or at least most people do. Most people should, Um, although today things are getting worse. It looks, you look like simply another person. But the difference between you and another person who isn't virtuous is great, it's immense. So that's what is meant here. Virtue is light as a hair, but among the common people, few are able to take it up. It's a very subtle difference, uh, and if you wish for it, you can have it. All right, line um, 362, in general, the reason why vile people arise, why there are there vile people in the world, is that those in the position of superiors do not honor E and do not respect E. So in other words, the superiors set the tone. Superiors are teachers to their subordinates. That's line 370. So the superior superior position and the subordinate, this happens in anything, is who the leader is of that relation. So father is a superior to the son. Doesn't mean he gets to boss him around. Okay. The husband, in Confucian thought, is the uh, superior to the wife. We'll talk about that in the 종 and family, you know, what does this exactly mean. But ultimately if things go bad in the marriage, um, the husband is the one to take primary responsibility there because he is the one who has more influence within that relation. This kind of interesting because some women will take this as an as, a, as an opportunity to say see it's you know the husband's fault and other women will might say you know um uh and by this i mean feminists actually i should be more clear some feminists will say take advantage of and say oh okay this means that uh i could blame my uh husband for the bad state of marriage.'" and that's not quite true um other other women will other feminists will say oh, uh, you know, that's not fair that uh, the husband gets to have, you know, be called a superior. And it's just, um, I'm talking about who has ultimately more influence. So that doesn't mean you get to blame everything on the husband. And it also doesn't mean that the husband necessarily um, is your personal dictator or something within that family, right? So if you're interested in this, Zhong and... Family is where you want to what you want to uh, where you want to go and what you want to listen to. Um, okay, so the way that subordinates harmon harmonize with their superiors is comparable to the way that an echo responds to one's sound or the way that a shadow resembles one's form. In other words, it follows very closely to it. So it's a good analogy there. Superiors really have Great influence. And so if the people overall are bad, you have to blame the governing. You have to blame the, the leadership. And if the leadership consistently generation after generation is bad, you have to look at the system that puts such bad leaders into power again and again and again. In ancient times, Yu and Tong, Yu and Tong made Yi e their foundation, and work at trustworthiness, and the whole world was ordered. Ji and Zhou rejected Yi e and turned their backs on trustworthiness, and so the world was chaotic. And so, in serving as people's superior, you must carefully observe ritual in Yi e and work at loyalty and trustworthiness, and only then will you survive. This is a great foundation for serving as people's lords. Yi, e, again, is morality. Trustworthiness is living up to your word and being trustable and not being deceptive and practicing trickery, being honest in your words and living up to them. So how long has it been since we've had a great, uh, a leader in a high position that is, can be described this? He's moral and he means what he says and he does what he says and you can trust him. It hasn't been the case, not in my lifetime. There's always been some sort of lying, some sort of deception, some sort of disappointment. And that's not even considering the the morality of these people. Most of these guys are immoral people. The last words for this chapter is uh, Trinza is talking about priority. So he says, you know, if your hall is not cleared, then the weeds in the countryside are not expected to be removed. Or I guess the more easy. Example, uh, easy analogy is, if your house is a mess, uh, if it's falling apart inside, then you're not going to try to garden outside, you know, because it's a priority. Uh, The last very last sentence says, it is because when it comes to the urgency of distressful events, there are some things that take priority over others. So what does that mean? This is a good way to start talking about Shunza's overall ideal of government. Certain things are more important than others. Certain things are more central, critical and fundamental and essential than others. So what is not essential is military strategy. What's not essential is GDP. What is not essential is having people getting to eat whatever they want and stay up as light as they want and play whatever music they want. That's not what is essential. Ultimately, what is essential is that your government is based on Li, Yi, and Ren. And that is what gives rise to trustworthiness, loyalty, good culture, people who are naturally good on their own without you having to threaten them with punishment. That is what allows you to find people who are talented and virtuous who can lead society, be good generals and trustworthy generals, can be people who can figure out the right economic policy for the time, who can figure out where to build your fortresses, where to build your bridges. What is good music? What is not good music? What is good ritual? What is not ritual? This is how you can bring forth these greater goods. And then naturally, everything will take care of itself. So the superiors set a role model for everybody underneath them. And you can establish this through position where they have actual power. And that's given to those with ability. You could do this through rank and award. Award is different from reward. Reward is something like money. Award would be giving somebody a title like Sir. Um, the British, they do this kind of a incorrect way. Uh, you know, so for example, um, Sir Sean Connery or Sir Patrick Stewart. These, these guys are just actors. They're very good actors, and enjoy their work immensely. But this is not the kind of uh, person you should give ring to according to Shinsman because they have ability. So you might be able to put them in charge of uh, a performance academy for the arts, for theater. Sure, right? That makes sense. But you, you're not supposed to give them knighthood because that's based on a person's virtue. Now, Sean Connery, an exemplary person, should we all model ourselves after Sean Connery and Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen? I, probably not. You know, I'm not saying that they are um, you know, bad people to be around, unpleasant to be around. I'm not saying that. But what I mean by um, virtuous is that these must be people who can be role models for everybody to follow. Not just because they're good actors, because they're talented in that particular way, but overall how they they have been living their life, is honorable, is virtuous, is of a high level. Someone who is saintly, you know, just in the way that people look up to the saints as a personal role model. You know, we're saying with by giving them rank and award, that we're p- placing them aside from the rest of society and saying this is a role model human being we want to remember them throughout history so if you can if you really believe that these actors are like those people then sure go ahead and give them that rank but i don't think that's why they got that rank i think they got the rank because they were very very famous actors who are very good at their craft and brought certain characters beloved characters to life but uh i don't think that um um would, necess- that would not necessarily mean that they have high character. So rank and position and award is part of, uh, part of that. And also reward, in other words, you can give them something like money because it does take a lot of hard work and time and energy to cultivate your virtue. It takes sacrifice. And so people who cultivate their virtue, they could have made a lot more money. People who cultivate their virtue They could have enjoyed more material things. So you can give out rewards in order to recompense them because they have made a sacrifice in order to be more virtuous. Ultimately, your government, however exactly it functions, needs to have wise and virtuous people at the top. And wise and virtuous people who are talented are the ones who need to make decisions. And, and this way, the whole society learns to be good and the whole society can be stable. And because it's stable, people can specialize in their roles. The farmers can farm, the merchants, the businessmen can make money, the engineers, the craftsmen, they can produce goods etc. The economy is robust, the people are loyal and that makes for a very strong military defense. So at this point everything takes care of itself. If you don't think it can work this way or you think an alternate way of governing can do better, go ahead and let me know and I can we can have that discussion. We can explain why this is or is not the case.